the glory of the bomb, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. His hand is gone out into all the lands, and his light unto the end of the world. He descendeth from the outermost part of heaven, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. There is neither speech nor language, yet his voice is heard among them. Praise him, praise him, my, my strength and my redeemer. and to the holy fallout as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Almighty and everlasting bomb, who came down among us to make heaven under earth lighten our darkness, O instrument of God, grant us thy peace. Almighty God, who destroyed all devils and created angels, behold his glory. Behold the truth that abides in us. Reveal that truth unto that maker. I reveal my inmost self unto my God. Unto my God. Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Clank. Hi, I'm Clark Boss. That's my very white voice, David. You like that? I am Clark Boss. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really am. I I thought you would just appreciate that. Considering this is our, as close as we'll get to a a Christmas holiday show for this year, I just wanted to throw in a little Krampus because... We could all use a little Krampus. I hope you've been a good boy this year, David. Yeah, and I've been I've seen a doctor and they're trying to help me with my Krampus. So um. <laughs> that's right. Hydration is the is the most important thing. <laughs> Drink lots of water. Um yeah. I, I am Troy Harkin. That full 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 disclosure. Uh and Dave, do you mind if I begin the show with a Beatleism? Oh, for sure. Go right ahead. So as we're getting into religion and whatnot today, I thought that I would go with the John Lennon quote, God is a concept by which we measure our pain. And I thought that God is also a great concept for a genre fiction and, and, a, and a podcast on that topic today. And uh, this is, uh, just in case you're, you're, uh, you're wondering, this is our religion episode. Uh, we do have a special guest for this episode. Jerome Stewart is joining us. Um, Troy, will you be so kind as to give us a spoiler alert? Yes, I will, David. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Thanks a lot, Troy. 
Uh, and if this episode doesn't cancel us, I'm not sure what will. Uh, we are recording this session via Zoom. In the interest of transparency, I had a couple of poems in the anthology Wrestling with Gods, Tesseracts 18, which Jerome co-edited. Here's a bit about our guest. Jerome Stewart is a gay writer and artist whose writing has appeared in FNSF, Fantasy, Tor.com, Geist, Strange Horizons, On Spec, and several Tesseracts anthologies. In 2020, he was a finalist for the World Fantasy Award in short fiction. His work is often found at the intersection of science fiction, fantasy, and faith. As co-editor of the 2015 anthology Wrestling with Gods, Tesseracts 18, he asked others to explore that same intersection. Stewart lived for nearly a decade in the Yukon, but now lives, writes, and paints in Dayton, Ohio, as well as working in a cafe bakery. Welcome. Science can destroy religion by ignoring it, as well as by disproving its tenets. That's Arthur C. Clarke from Childhood Zen. Uh, he also says the greatest tragedy in mankind's entire history may be the hijacking of morality by religion. But he also says any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. It's so, so funny that that first quote you have is from childhood's end, which Clark is so playing with religious tropes there so much. So <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no worries, <laughs> So I, I was wondering, Jerome, what was your first speculative genre memory? Um, so my mom used to um, gather us in the um, the hallway between our bedrooms, and she would read to us the Chronicles of Narnia. And that was my introduction to the speculative genre. In fact, I... I, I think that was the first time I heard of centaurs and satyrs and... All this stuff that I I wasn't sure, um, you know, were safe or they didn't seem to be in the Bible as much. You know, I grew up in a very religious home, but boy, did I love the Chronicles of Narnia. That was uh, it was very much um, it's embedded now with a very sense of family, like our family read it together or at least my mom and, and us in the hallway did. And it was just a beautiful time to you know, have your mother read to you the first speculative fiction novel, you know, out loud to you. Yeah, it's just, it's a wonderful memory. Yeah, and certainly with C.S. Lewis. And um, when we're talking about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is very strongly ties in with uh, religion. And I'm sure that's why they read it to us, because it was in some sense sanctioned. But Boy, there's a lot of stuff in there that um, was was very natural to get me into a lot of other spec fic. So, yeah. Um, I was wondering what was the first, and it could be the same thing, but what was the first speculative genre thing that you actually fell in love with and why? Well, uh, I wrote this down, too. Um, <laughs> I, I had a hard time, but um, I, I think it was um, it was probably... It was probably Star Trek um, that was my first uh, genre love. The first thing I really, really loved um, and uh, just became obsessed with as a kid. And it, it was, you know, in the early, mid-70s when it um, 
when it went into syndication. So mm-hmm. it was a time when you could see it every night and it was much easier to fall in love with than a weekly program. But man, you could just see it was just so much uh, adventure and fun. And yeah, I, my dad and I uh, watched a lot of science fiction or a lot of um, uh, Star Trek together. Mm. We could even just do a podcast episode on religion and faith just in classic Trek. Cause they had a number of yes. episodes that dealt with that. And I think um, I'm building a theme of how family influences your um, your choice of uh, loves and reading. So th- this could be an important thing to know. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jerome. Now, we would like to get into your all-time genre faves. Um, here are some rapid-fire uh, questions about your favorite genre things. We were just looking for titles. But if you feel the urge, you can expand a bit. We do wish to get to talking about religion soon. Um, mm. For this season of uh, the TOF uh, podcast, we reduce a number of of um, all-time faves to about six categories. We had almost 20 at one point, and we thought that was too much. Um, so anyways, Troy, if you want to take it away. Sounds good. So, Jerome, what is your favorite uh, genre author, or who is? Uh, Ray Bradbury um, is, is just because I caught him early and just read so much of his, but he has um a wonderful way of expressing a uh, narrative. His narrative is so beautifully and emotionally packed. Yeah. I was talking to a friend recently who had come across uh, something wicked for the first time. And I think that's the novel I've read the most in my life because yeah. I'm just drawn it drawn to his, his prose in that book. And even like the one chapter, which is just uh, something like on Saturday, nothing ha- happened, you know, and that, that's the, that's the chapter. <laughs> Yeah, chapter 30, 31, 31 with nothing else much happened the rest of the night. That's the only chapter I've actually memorized in all wow. the, the stuff I've read. I, and I felt like that book specifically, he was so good about not just um, writing beautiful prose, but his characters were so, you just, you were so empathetic towards his characters who have lost everything for the for the wish they wanted. And yeah. The school teacher who, you know, I think she becomes young again and she's doesn't know what to do with herself. And it's just, um, yeah, I I felt so moved. He moves you with his prose and he moves you specifically in that book with the characters. Mm. Yeah. And for me, when I first read it, it was falling in love with the boys um, because I read it when I was probably about 14. and then. Uh, I reread it, I've read it all through my life, but at some point I realized I'm now seeing the book and identifying through the father. Mm. Um, and, and they're both wonderful. They're all wonderful, as you said. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to, uh, hijack that there, but, uh, uh, now I wanted to ask you about your favorite genre novel. I know you did mention Narnia, but is it the series overall or is there one book within that or is it something totally else you want to throw in as your favorite genre novel? You know, the, the the idea of favorite is really hard because, <laughs> I mean, there's so many good things coming out that just, you know, you wrap yourself into and um, or with and and you love, too. So, um, I mean, I loved Left Hand of Darkness, Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness a lot. And I I was a big fan. I, I like Madeline Lingle's Wrinkle in Time. That series was really important to me as a kid. But still, I go back to that series. How about your favorite uh, genre, shorter work? 
Um, anything, the next thing tour.com publishes. Um, <laughs> no, um, I really enjoyed tea with the black dragon by R.A. McAvoy. Okay. And, uh, let's go on to, Oh, sorry, David, did you have something there? No, uh, let's go on to your favorite genre movie. Pleasantville. Oh, nice. That, yeah, that's one that we could do an entire show on for sure. And it, it hasn't come up that often. Uh, how about your favorite genre TV show? Yeah, I'm a big, I can, I mean, my comfort TV shows are Star Trek. So I rewatch the series, you know, every few years, I rewatch all of the series. Series is, is, um, <clears throat> but DS9 is probably my favorite series of that group. Okay. Um, so the answer to this next question doesn't have to come from your favorite uh, genre TV show, but can you tell us what your favorite individual all time genre TV episode is? The pressure is on. <laughs> this one was a little easier because the DS nine episode called the visitor still makes me, uh, it still moves me every time I see it. Um, and that's the one where, um, where Jake Cisco loses his father in an accident and spends the rest of his life trying to get his father back. But it's told from the point of view of a young woman who comes to visit a very old Jake Cisco to ask why he stopped writing. And um, I think it hit me on such multiple levels as a writer, you know, whose life may interrupt your writing and stop you from doing what you love. But also when, when the need in your heart becomes so much bigger than your career or your whatever. I mean, Jake, the actor who played Jake Sisko, and I've forgotten his name, Tony. Uh, Tony Todd. Tony, Tony Todd. Todd. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Tony Todd is amazing in this. And uh, I just cry every time that episode mm. comes on. It just hurts. It hurts so much. And the actors, you know, uh, Jake Sisko's actor, um, I'm, I'm just yeah. blanking on my, Sarah, I um, think it's Sarah Lofton. Yeah, yeah, Sarah Lofton, and yeah. um, and uh, yeah, just all the the characters play such a wonderful. Uh, they do such a great job in that episode, and it was one of the times that DS Nine went way beyond the moment, way beyond you know being on the space station or being in order. It went you know, 40, 50 years into the future and was mostly there trying to, you know, um, figure these things out. Um, and it was just, yeah, it's emotionally packed. Another one of those emotionally packed narratives. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, mentioning that one. That's one of my favorite. It, it reminds, I know it's not a genre thing, but it, it strangely reminds me. Let me just uh, move something over here. Uh, so I can actually look. I have your images over on another monitor. I prefer to actually stare at you as I talk, even though this is Zoom. But um, when it comes to The Visitor, it makes me think of the original movie, TV movie that turned into a TV series. It was called The Homecoming about John Boy, the Waltons, basically. There was a, oh, yeah. a TV movie that launched it. And it has to do wow. with their father who is miss who has not come back in time for Christmas. And they're all worried about what's going on. He shows up at the very end. And guess what? There's a gift of some writing material and some stuff for John Boy because they know that he's a writer. 
and it's such a powerful. Go ahead. We, no, we forget that uh, the Waltons is about a writer who is writing about his family. I mean, I, I think a lot of people forget that part, but when every time I see it, it really ignites. Like, here's a family that loved having a writer in the house and was like helping him know that this was a real career, and <laughs> and he was also remembering and trying to preserve these his family, you know, and his um and what he loved. Yeah, yeah, I love the moment where there's this woman that's giving away gifts. And she says, you have to quote from Jesus or from the Bible. And everyone kept using the very short phrase, Jesus wept. And it turns out this <laughs> girl got this doll, but it was broken. And then she just drops it in the mud or, or whatever it was. It's just such a, it, just such a little but powerful moment. Uh, I know it's not genre, but I, I, I think about that. And visitors certainly and way beyond the stars. There's a few times when DS9 oh, yes. really hit it out of the park. Yeah. Way Beyond the Stars was also another great one, yeah. Um, so um, on to religion. Um, Troy, can you give us just a bit of background on it and set in context before we discuss it further? Well, all cultures have gods and myths to explain creation and to answer questions like why we are here, where we go to, and how we should behave. Generally, these beliefs help form our societies and help to maintain order and civility. Well, it turns out that these beliefs stem from a very specific part of the brain. And it turns out that as a species, we have beliefs and we dream and we create art based on things that do not actually exist in the real world, but clearly as a species, we have a need for these behaviors. And clearly, religion has the possibility for a huge downside. So today, David, we are going to be looking into, at this holy season, questions of God and religion as they are reflected in genre. Thanks a lot, Troy. Um, Jerome, do you have... um, I know we talked about your early influences and stuff in science fiction... But do you remember how you were sort of first introduced to the idea of religion and occult and the and what that all sort of entails, but as it relates to science fiction, fantasy, and horror? Wow. Now, when you put the word occult with it, it's a very, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and, and especially during the Satanic Panic, and, uh, and, and knew that Dungeons and Dragons was the devil, and that... Uh, Poor Tom Hanks being involved in that movie, Mazes and Monsters, <laughs> that just uh, made all of us Christian kids frightened to death of Dungeons and Dragons. And I didn't play it till I was in my 40s. And I was like, what the F did I miss in my life? This amazing game that was perfectly designed for me. And I had been completely... Uh, held back from from experiencing that i mean we started off with the chronicles of narnia and that would be probably what i would reference as the first time the integration of religion into a fantasy novel um you know happened for me that whole series and and so that probably trained me for how they go together which is um or at least at first you know that um there's a lot of hope in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. There's a lot of care and compassion 
in the Chronicles of Narnia. There's a talking lion, which, dadgummit, why don't we have those? Mm. Um, But I think the concepts of, the religious concepts that stood with me are this idea of of hope and of compassion, of of the things that I, I feel like are the essence of religion that carry well into science fiction and fantasy. Social justice is another one, you know, the idea of caring for the poor, that this is a responsibility and a duty we have to other people. Yeah, and we certainly covered Dickens before at one of our holiday things, as Troy will remember, and talking about the ghosts and what it means, family and everything else, and what it is to be a social justice kind of person. Um, Troy, do you have some early experiences of religion and science fiction, fantasy, horror? Well, I will touch on something that I've talked about probably a couple of times in the show, but it, it, this is the perfect topic to revisit it. So for me, um, <laughs> the exorcist was so, uh, fundamental in so many different ways. I mean, it affected me as, a, as a, a future writer, but as a child, I mean, it messed me up and I, I saw somebody post something recently about um, asking about the exorcist. And I said, you know, it, what's the scariest film that you've ever seen? And so I responded with the exorcist that it was so scary to me that it fucked me up for 10 years before I even saw it. <laughs> that's, that's how effective it was. Cause I was um, not yet 10 in 1973 when the film came out. Um, and you know, like I, I asked my mother about the ads, which I had heard on the radio, and she said very nonchalantly, uh, you know, oh, demonic possession, that's when uh, the devil takes over your soul. And <laughs> and I was like, what? What? You know, as yeah. if she was telling me about jaywalking or something. Um, and and my dad, who had always said to me whenever I was concerned about, like, say, Frankenstein or the mummy or whatever, he would say, it's just a film. You know, it's just a film. Don't worry about it. It's just a, just a story. Um, yet with The Exorcist, when I mm-hmm. went to mass uh, during the the year that uh, it, The Exorcist was a phenomenon in the theaters, we covered it in the homily. And the, and the priest broke down how the church made sure that the film was accurate and authentic. And so rather than having an adult tell me that it's just a film, I had adults saying, no, no, this is what happens. Just like my mom had said, you know, this is what it is. So years before I saw it, which was finally in high school, I was messed up because there was kids talking about, you know, what stories they had heard, apocryphal stories, like, yeah, my brother saw it and he saw the devil at the end of his bed with a sword and it tried to cut off his ankle and he's still, he's got a wound from it. And, uh, you know, just like things like this. So it's like, yeah, this is not Frankenstein. This is not the mummy. This is like, I'm being told by adults, this is real. Um, So it wasn't fiction. (laughs) Yeah. Now what I want to say is I love both the film and the book. But the book I find beautiful in terms of faith. It is such a wonderful and uplifting book, I think, for a person of faith, because it is about confronting evil and standing up to it 
and and coming together, you know, as a family and a couple of priests um, coming together to confront evil. And there are some lines in that that just bring me to tears because they are beautiful affirmations of faith. Um, mm. Anyway, so yeah, I'll, I'll probably wrap it up there because again, we'll end up doing another a third part to our <laughs> two part exorcist show that we did. Yeah, and we'll certainly get into a bit of Stephen King because a lot of his stuff has yeah. some religious <laughs> overtones too, and also deals with a stand, an actual stand, an actual mm-hmm. people getting together as a family or as yeah. friends to stand together against uh, the demons. So, anyways, yeah. um, so it, we're now into the part where we sort of do a free for all where we can talk about. It. And one of the things, by the way, Jerome, that both Troy and I watched recently was children of men mm-hmm. um which i watched it again just a couple of days ago in prep for this episode even though it came out in 2005 and my god that film still holds up and it's such a powerful and the actual fighting and everything that goes on is so real i didn't re-watch that and i've only seen it once and um i don't know i i i didn't carry away it was a powerful film i remember at the time but my takeaway now is 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 so much less. I don't know. I mean, I just it's protect the pregnant woman so that the the the, the species can survive. Mm. And yeah, um, that that emphasis on procreation for uh, the essence of society, the essence of uh, of humanity. And I know that's an important. I mean, procreation is a very important part. But I think. Uh, as a gay person, we're often told that procreation is the important thing. And if we're not procreating, what are we doing on, you know, on the planet? And, uh, so that can have a, a different kind of sound to mm-hmm. me at times. Right. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Enough. Uh, what got me the first time with children of men was when it, you know, I don't know how, how deep into the film we got. I guess it's maybe as soon as you've realized that Key is pregnant. Um, that, that I realized, oh, Clive Owen, he's Joseph, you know, like this is a, this is a nativity Mm. story. This is, and and the cool thing about it is, you know, so often with the nativity story, you clearly the emphasis is on both Jesus and Mary, but now we sort of talk about, we're seeing it through Joseph's eyes. We're Mm. We're seeing it through his sacrifice to basically deliver the pregnant woman and the child um and i ended up like crying through that film once that that dawned on me that i was watching a nativity story um and uh so now i i clearly can't watch it without and there's that great scene you know the the one where where uh, they're coming out of the uh the firefight of the two sides um and he has the newborn and and it's a it's a uh, a tracking shot, a long, continuous tracking shot where the soldiers one by one put down their weapons when they realize there's the newborn. Um, mm. And it because it feels so real. It's one of those, it's mm. done a lot yeah. now, but it's one of those uh, deals where you get blood splatters on the, on the lens or probably done uh, in post, but it looks like it's on the lens. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. uh and all of a sudden that stops as soon as each soldier sees the, the baby, which I don't think, you know, would actually happen now, but it's just so profound at that point. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Dang so, it, I should have, I should have rewatched that before we got here because I think 
seeing it through that lens would have been a lot better. Yeah. yeah. Well, I now include it uh, right as, alongside of Die Hard as a Christmas story, as a Christmas film. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing was a fifth element, um, which is uh, quite powerful, too, because you have, I think, some uh, a, a religious order that's actually trying to protect or trying to um, make sure that um, uh, the woman in the story is actually safe and is able to fulfill what her destiny is the idea that the fifth what the fifth element is as opposed to fire mm-hmm. air water and no oh, yeah what have you um and, yeah go ahead i i just rewatched that too and i was uh i really loved the fact that the that she was not the element that love was the element and she was just just like those stones she was a stone that you had to do and interact with she had to be loved Mm. and you couldn't do that with a stone so that was a person and Mm. so yeah i just thought was a it's a very powerful and fun film it's campy but i love that film and so i I would have listed that as my favorite uh my one of my favorite films to uh to re-watch because i can re-watch that endlessly for Mm. sure for sure and now Again, for our listeners, and we have a lot of them who are probably both either atheist or agnostic, but it really, to me, that also in, in, encompasses the whole sort of Christian message that, you know, that we, each one of us, can be Christ. Each one of us can be called to, to be godlike. Um, and to, you know, to serve in a Christ-like manner, like that's the idea. We are we are the ones that are supposed to be. You know, we don't have to wait for this delivery. We can be the ones who deliver. Yeah, and I wonder if you know, we talked before about how religious is religion's message is love, but there's a disconnect some t- a lot in the way it's practiced, and so you you get a lot of people turned off by a religious message because they can see that, you know, it's not being lived out, that love is not there, that love is control and that love is uh restriction and, or at least the way that it's being interpreted and fifth element and other films. And I think science fiction and fantasy genre in, in general wants to take that message and clean it off <laughs> and say, yeah. no, no, the essence is good. And this was the essence of it, and we're getting it all wrong. And so I, I love genre for, for being able to wrap that love package in a different wrapping so people don't keep seeing how badly we're doing it in real life and see the real, the real message of loving each other as a, as the main drive for religion. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There, and yeah. And I know I'm not being trite. There's your Christmas message right there. <laughs> if you want to take anything away, there you go. Thank you for that, Jerome. Um, You're welcome. And I realized with, um, like, I, I've always loved um, uh, Mila Jovovich's portrayal of Lilu. Um, and uh, I watched something else that reminded me of, of Lilu recently. Um, and that was Kevin Smith's Dogma. Um, mm. and, and I love Alanis Morissette at the end of the film as God, who, who doesn't really speak. She kind of just goes like, uh, I forget the character she goes up to, but just goes boop on the nose. <laughs> and, um, it, it was, yeah. and, and Alan Rickman actually plays the voice of God. 
Uh, and he's wonderful on that too. You know, not, not, uh, anybody's best film ever, but, uh, some neat messages in that one. And not particularly, I guess, other than, uh, the topic, not really genre, it, it, not hardcore. It's certainly not sci-fi, but I guess you could maybe put it into a fantasy category, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wrote a poem, um, about how, I- all the way I was raised by my parents, they shouldn't be surprised I was into fantasy and science fiction because the Bible as fantasy literature is a real thing. When I look at the Bible, there are so many tropes that we've we've taken from there, you know, uh, animal speaking, um, gods walking, you know, gods walking on earth and caring for people and pillars of fire and, yeah. you know, revenge and just a lot of... Um, uh, tropes that um, we shouldn't be surprised that religion and fantasy, at least, or um, kind of go so well together. We're being trained in a bit. The Bible has so much fantasy in it, so much of fantasy elements. I don't want to say fantasy because, you know, I still believe it's true and true in a, a larger T true rather than a smaller T. I don't, you know, nobody knows that these events actually happened, but the truth in there is is really strong. For mm. sure. Yeah, we get virgin births. We get uh, people returning from the dead. Um, yes. It's, it's sort of all, <laughs> it's, it's all there. Jesus and, as necromancer? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I once had a conversation with a friend who was then uh, an agnostic, but now is actually born again. Um, he said to me, you know, when, when I was younger, I was trying to tell, talk to him about the merits of faith. And uh, I said, you know, if nothing else, if nothing else, uh, you know, faith actually yeah helps you, you know, to give you a reason to be compassionate, but it also yeah. in terms of for creative people, because he's an artist uh, I said, you know, it, it flexes a muscle, you know, when you're asked to believe in things that are, you know, apparently not believable, you know, it, you have to flex your imagination. Mm. And when you do that, things become possible. You know, when you when you accept things that, you know, other, other people are not believing as being possible, then all of a sudden things get larger. You're, you might do something that was never thought of as being possible. Yeah. Yeah. Or even but, writing. You know, it helps you with, <laughs> I found as a writer, yeah. like I can, I can no. conceive of things that I wouldn't have been able to if I just was always shutting it off and saying, well, that can't happen. Literally, it's the box that you want to think outside of, you know, the science and the and the way things have been done. And I do think faith allows you that ability to go, well, what if and can you believe in that so much that you can come up with story or painting or whatever? Yeah, that's a great quote. The box you want to think outside of. Thank yeah, you for that. <laughs> one of the thing, one of the things that we've talked and for some reason, it didn't make my list of films that have sort of a faith or religious connection to it. And we did a lot of prep, Troy and I, and we had all these things. And suddenly I realized just a few minutes ago, Field of Dreams. Oh, yeah. Yeah, seven. Has got so much or faith. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because... Just, exactly. He's hearing a voice. He's hearing a voice from somewhere, yeah. Exactly. And he says, you know, is this heaven? No, but it's Iowa or something. And you've got yeah. the idea that the older guy, Timothy Busfield, who or not super older, but he's someone who just doesn't believe it. But when he actually sees, you know, what are these baseball players doing there? 
you know, he finally makes that leap. He finally connects and is actually yeah. able to see as a child. That just is more of an emotional moment now that I'm thinking about it. It is It is very much a faith-oriented movie. I want to say faith-based, but oriented because it's got all the elements. You hear mm-hmm. a voice that tells you to build what? An arc? No, a baseball field, you know? And it's the same kind of drive that you just do it even though it sounds ridiculous. And and then it brings out something that you really needed. Like the, you know, what Kevin Costner needs in that film mm. is answered through the baseball field, this moment. I mean, the holy moment of too many, too many movies, I guess, that you have to play catch with your dad or else, you know, you're a warped, <laughs> emotionally, uh, you know, dra- um, um, emotionally backed up, kid uh, if you haven't played catch but but i do i love i love the film for its um persistent belief in following that impulse that you don't know the mystery is so big Mm. and i think that's something that faith and religion offers us too is it brings back a little mystery and says you don't know everything your science can't figure out everything there's something more than what you can figure out today and uh and I like that. I like the fact that you just you're following something you don't know, but you feel this uh, impulse to do that. Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention you you mentioned the messages as one of them was ease his pain. I yeah. think part of what faith and and this is is helps you deal with grief. Um, I lost my wife in February, February, and it's been a very rough time, but. You know, in some cases, something like a faith or a belief that she might be in a better place is something that helps us be able yeah. to, you know, whether one believes that or not. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's what Field of Dreams brings is that the idea of of um, of the um, uh, actor James Earl Jones walking into that cornfield. Uh, that we'll eventually do a cornfield episode, basically, because wow. cornfields <laughs> yeah. deal with a lot in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. But him oh. just laughing and smiling <laughs> as he walks into that is just a wonderful moment. It is. It is. And, it, you know, every character gets kind of what they wanted. Even the mean, evil brother character, you know, finally finds some happiness, I think, at the end. I think he does. Um, but, yeah. Um, the mystery behind the cornfield that he doesn't, not all the secrets are revealed Mm. in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the great things that uh, allows for the marriage of religion and spirituality and, and genre is um, obviously the existential element and the, the questions that we ask, like, you know, why is this happening? Um, for me, um, I was, um, in university, even though I was familiar with the book, I was blown away by the book of Job, uh, in the old Testament. And, uh, so much so that I ended up, my first novel is called the good man. Um, and it's basically a modern retelling of the book of Job, because I realized, you know, if you sort of lose the, the preamble with the bet (laughs) between God and Satan and the, the end with Job being compensated. Um, yeah, it's it's which is the the essence of the story. Uh, it is a horror story, 
Um, it is. And, and I realized if you did this with a character who was both, uh, in my case, I, he was a um, theology uh, professor um, who has a brain tumor. And so like in the exorcist, as, as shit starts to befall him, he, he isn't sure if it's real or not. Like, is this, is this something that is happening to me being done to me? include like all of the travails that he has to go through, uh, you know, and, and he hears voices like uh, in, in uh, the field of dreams where he's sort of sent on a vision quest to confront the thing that is causing his evil. Um, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to do a little promo there, but um, I think that's, that's the territory that we get into where it's really easy to marry these uh, religious concepts with uh, our fiction. Mm. But you can also marry it with science, uh, Jerome. Mm-hmm. Like, like you, you had mentioned in when we were prepping for this, the idea of the movie Contact, and of course, based on the yeah. novel Contact, how much it is such a wonderful combination of faith and science. Do you want to talk? I mean, you may want to respond oh, to I Troy do. about his uh, thing I, also. I do. I mean, I love what Troy was saying too. I find mm-hmm. Job. I want to come back to Contact, but I do find Job so mm-hmm. torturous, um, but. I, as an author now, what we do to our characters when we're writing is very similar to what happens to Job. It's like, I mean, you tor- you you take things <laughs> away from them until they have nothing and find out what will they do. And did we learn this from Job? That's an awful <laughs> thing to do to a character, you know? Wow. Um, I, I find that compensation part... <laughs> Where he had what yep. twelve daughters, and he was so much, and they did. They were just as good as the first. I was like, no, they're not. They are not <laughs> as good as wow. the first ones. No, yeah. no, yeah. Um, that's cruel. But I, but I think you're the essence of what you're talking about is what do we do when shit happens? How do we cope? Hmm. And wh- where do we go? And hmm. I think faith does allow us. Not just hope, but it allows us a community of other people whom shit has happened to, who Mm. are coping. And it's that community of believers, believers in the sense of community of travelers, put it Mm -hmm. that way. Um, Community of travelers who are like, yeah, the shit is horrible. And here's my hand, my very real hand holding on to you. Mm. And yes, we'll focus on the hope that we both believe in that is coming from a higher source. And I think that's important, but I also think such a component of faith and religion is the fact that we are the physical manifestations of that faith, that we are supposed to be reaching out our hands in the shit moments to Mm. each other and saying, I'm with you. And that is an important part that you're not alone through your shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and hopefully they're not like Job's friends and saying to you, you know, what have you done? How, have you offended God to do this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what no. have you done? You're a bad luck guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, have do you guys recall the uh, the Warner Brothers? Not Warner Brothers. Yeah, I guess Warner Brothers cartoon uh, Duck Amok with Daffy Duck, where. Uh, Okay, I'll, I'll describe it again in a second for those who don't know. Oh wait, but, is it the one with the uh, the he gets to the artist erases his foot and yeah, yeah, like and, that? It, and it turns out that the artist is, is Bugs Bunny. 
Um, yeah. And, oh, yeah. So, so you just reminded <laughs> me, you just brought that to mind. That is that what we're doing? Is that also the same thing? What we do to our characters? Are we the God or, or the Bugs Bunny who is like do, causing all this pain for Daffy Duck? <laughs> I want to come back to contact in a moment, but I just remembered God, God game by Andrew. Oh, I can't think of his last name, but God game was amazing. It's about a guy who creates like a, a video game and realizes that his characters can see him and interact with him as if he's God. And he, he wants them to do certain things in this narrative and enforces them to do them, but with dire consequences and learns how to be a God that is much better. Like it's such oh, a, that's great. it's a really beautiful novel. I want to say McNeely or Mc. No, uh, it's, it says, uh, Andrew Greeley. Andrew Greeley. Oh, yeah. What that name? Yeah. God game. Why. Yeah. It's, it's really good because his, it, it's us realizing what it's like to be a God and how difficult it would be to, get what you want out of your characters and why, why God has to be more compassionate to let us find our own ways. Even if it, if it's bad, even if it's difficult because forcing us to do it would not be right, you know? And yeah, I, I think it's a good book, but I do, I do want to get back to contact because I love context message is so interesting um, because for the entire movie, you have a protagonist who is science-based, and it's Jodie Foster. She's doing an amazing job in the film, portraying this scientist who is after truth. But the world keeps telling her, well, it has to have a faith component or it's not, it's not real truth. And we don't like you as our representative of Earth going to meet the aliens because... You don't believe in something. You don't have a faith. And we want to choose somebody else who's more faith-oriented. And and what's ironic is that the ending, she becomes the believer and everybody else becomes the skeptic because she knows what she experienced. And the truth in that last 30 seconds is the erasing of those eight hours of film you know, that they just don't want that truth to be known. And it's the irony on top of irony on top of irony right at the end is just bam, bam, bam. You know, it's just a wonderful, mm. you you see her become a believer because of her experience, which is kind of how all of us become believers. We don't maybe not become believers because of we've been trained as much as when we have an experience that causes us to go wait a second that's not possible and yet it just happened and this means a great deal to me how do i incorporate that into my worldview if and that's she's, what she's doing go ahead no i'm actually now i i just feel like a dick for actually having a s- s- stupid comment but i was going to say if only she had played catch with her dad when she found him uh, yeah <laughs> comment Wow. <laughs> wow. But, but Matthew. Yeah. 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 No. Um, but I, yeah. And what's funny is it is her dad that appears to her, Troy at the end. Remember it's her, yeah. it's her dad that she lost yeah. that comes to her and he's like, I'm not your dad. I'm just a, uh, I know this is going to be a calming image for you. 
and he's very, you know, the, the alien's very upfront, but it is really in a metaphorical sense, her getting to have closure with her yeah. dad that she didn't have at the beginning of the show or at the beginning of the movie. And I, I think that's so powerfully put there too. Um, that again, it's someone familiar that is the receptacle of the faith or receptacle of the compassion. The thing that reaches out to you is not some faraway God. It's someone, you know, it's someone right beside Mm. you. It's someone you love. And it's such a powerful message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful film. It is. One of the things that I think we may have talked about uh, beyond contact might be, uh, the Matrix from 1999 and Signs mm. from 2002, mm. which both have their connections. And I think Signs is more of the one of those films that I think is underrated. Like people don't quite Matrix, have it in yeah. the same reverence as others. I don't know if you want to talk just briefly about those before we talk about other things. I do love Signs. Oh my gosh, I love Signs. I think Signs, what, what's wonderful about, uh, and I'm not sure, I want to say it's uh, M. Night Shyamalan, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know the exact pronunciation of the last name, but, um, I just feel like I got so scared the way, the way he does horror is so beautifully done. He knows what scares you. He knows that you, you know, that moment where, um, Joaquin Phoenix is looking at the television set. So it's, you're looking at Joaquin Phoenix looking at a television set who's looking through a camera at a, alleyway in mexico Mm. or in in a south american country Mm. and you're waiting and that alien passes Mm. by and the music hits and you're like you know you get scared but but it's such a beautiful film in the sense of you know the loss of faith at the beginning because of the horrible thing that's happened to to the the um to the man to the preacher um and uh, to the priest and uh and his regaining of faith through that film is is very powerful that you know it sets up something Jung, Jung called synchronicity which i think is a lovely gateway into faith if you want to go the back door through faith going through carl jung's idea of synchronicity escapes all of the trappings of religion and churches and the Pope and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the idea of things happening that seem coincidental, but end up being for a reason, or you can, you can find a meaning in them. And that film is full of obviously planned, you know, by the writer, but it's for, for the priest is, um, wow. All of these things was, were just the things that needed to happen in that order for us to save humanity in exactly this way. And the priest is like, how can I not believe it just comes right back? Did you want to get into the, uh, some, uh, DS nine, uh, Jerome? Oh, well, I'd love to. I mean, I, I, I love talking to you guys about this topic and, uh, yeah. Um, I think DS nine does the best at, um, the, uh, for me of of a science fiction series dealing with faith and religion, I felt very um, seen, but also critiqued 
in a way, I mean, in a good way, I felt like the really good components of faith and religion are allowed to be messy and come out of that series, but also, you know, the, um, uh, the dangers of religion as a controlling mechanism, as people who seek power can hold on to that control. Um, it, it's, it's both, you know, because Cisco ends up becoming the emissary literally from, you know, <laughs> that he's sort of destined to be, mm. And he's brought there kicking and screaming, but it's, but he understands it better. And Kira is allowed to be messy and doubt and also believe. And, uh, I want to say, um, what's her name? Uh, the, um, Kai Wynn. Oh my gosh. Kai Wynn mm-hmm. is such an amazing character for being a believing, a believer who wants to believe so badly in that the prophets are good and real, but they won't speak to her because they know she's a power hungry uh, person (laughs) and she won't accept that. She's like, I can't see my, you need to talk to me or I will destroy you. (laughs) And, And I just, I love her for, for that, that horribleness that comes from so much pain of being rejected by the the abandonment of the supreme being you want to follow so badly that they don't talk to you and I'm just going to destroy it for everybody. I'm going to destroy them because they didn't like me. And she's very empathetic to me. Um, she's horrible. I hate her too as a character, but she's beautiful in her pain for that, mm. you know, her trajectory. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling on and I'm not sure if uh, I'm having a good discussion. about. No, that's, that's thing. fine. That's great. And I don't know, Dave, cause you're a little more familiar with deep space nine than I am is, did you have any response to any of that or anything you wanted to add about, about it? Yeah, they did make it a very important factor in it. And with uh, Cisco having to be a commander of a station, but also this connection to the wormhole and him being an emissary was a very complicated and very real and problematic at times. And Starfleet mm-hmm. didn't even know what the heck to do with it other than perhaps just leave him in there. I mean, he has doubt of faith too, because he lost his wife during three Wolf 359 and had this issue yeah. with Picard and the very open, like that first two part, that like number of these series had two part open, like encounter far point. Yeah, that first two-part episode was probably the best of all the series openings because yeah, yeah. it covered yeah. everything. At the very end, that scene with him and Picard and him finally saying, yes, I want to be the commander was quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that I think you're right. I go back to that first episode of DS9, and I just think it's so well-written because before Star Trek – had had often been in this in in this mode of making sure that they unplugged religion along the way. They just kept pulling <laughs> the plug every time they met a species that was had faith. They made sure to to unplug their faith somehow. And uh, this one, they didn't try. It was such a component of the culture that they were respectful, and mm. it ended up being such an integral part of the whole show. And you're right, David. Very pl- problematic at times. How do you be? How do you be the um, 
the uh, logical leader making practical choices for the good of you know multiple species when you're also the savior of of this people that you know they see you in such a they see you can do no wrong and you're like no 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 i'm i'm just a human being i'm going to do i'm going to make mistakes and yeah it's he's almost being handed the ring of power that kai wen wants mm. and he won't put and he won't put it on but but there's also the aliens at the beginning that don't understand the fact that yeah. you we've got finite lifetimes because they they think of the long term and they don't quite understand the whole grief that he's holding on to and the fact that we only have a certain amount of time on this on the in this yeah. existence so that that i think was handled very well as oh, well david that moment when the aliens keep trying to tell cisco you keep telling us you live in a linear fashion but you exist here and it, it even tears me up now. It's like he can't leave the moment in time with his wife who is, who is, you know, underneath this wreckage, if he could just get her out and he, he's living a nonlinear life and didn't know it, you know, as, as we do with our memories. And I think that's such a powerful moment. We have a, uh, a few minutes before we get into wrapping up. And I just wanted to touch a little bit on, um, uh, Battlestar Galactica, especially the reboot of it, which is one of my favorite um, yeah. sci-fi TV series, at least space-based. Um, and I wasn't even aware until the show was kind of winding down that it had these um, tie-ins with, I guess, Mormonism. Um, oh yeah, and, and yeah, which again, because well, I mean, the first series especially did, and yeah. this one even more so. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I wasn't aware of things like, you know, uh, Cobol and Colob. Um, and even just the, uh, well, now this is not such, I guess, a Mormon concept, but the, the idea of this has all happened before. Um, that I, I loved that wrapping up the series with that scene. Um, where, where it's, you yeah. know, presented to us. And then we see the evolution of almost like the singularity of the Cylons being yeah. born. Um, anyway, yeah. if, do you guys want to throw in on this at all on, um, you know, aspects of BSG and religion? I love the fact, I think I love the fact that the, Cylons were monotheistic and the uh, humans were polytheistic. And it was such an interesting twist because it made you, it it made, you know, a believer or someone who's dealt with religion before go, wait a second, the bad guys believe in one spiritual being. Why am I with the bad guys? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and just the way that I, I really enjoyed the series on how the Cylons were not, they didn't remain the villains through the entire thing. They just remained an adversary because they believed something different and they had their own belief in reincarnation and in, you know, all sorts of other things that they, that they had built around their existence. And Who's to say they were wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah, those are those are great points, Jerome, because, you know, one of the things that, I mean, we get into this not just with religion, but humans always seem to want to fall down the rabbit hole of tribalism. 
right? Yeah. And and you're right. Like that's one of the things that BSG did. It was you know it could have been easy to take the Cylons and you just always have them as this robotic villain thing, but it literally humanized them. Yeah, it did. Yeah, the other thing that I would uh, take also, uh, because uh, very early on, mm. a very powerful message or moment from Adama when things have gone to hell, basically, and and things are not going great, but they've somehow escaped, and he's trying to, and he has that speech about how there is a 13th planet, there is this 13th colony because there's the 12 colonies all related to the different, you know, aspects of like Scorpio and so on, the astrology. But there is a 13th one. And he gives them what is hope or faith in the fact that we've got this thing to go to. and We can all work towards. Otherwise, what are we if we don't have that goal? If we don't have that faith. If we don't have that belief yeah. in going on. How what a powerful moment that was. Yeah. Um, and isn't that something essential about religion in some ways it offers us meaning and purpose and goal that's a collective that could be a collective goal that we could all get behind i mean if it wasn't so warped at times mm. it could be pure this idea of you know aiming towards something and and, and mm. you're right that gives the whole i just rewatched the first episode of voyager where she where where janeway is also pointing towards home and it gives the, the series this collective faith that we will get home before 75 years is up. We will get there earlier. We will all be focused on this one thing. And yeah, I love that about BSG. I think that really uh, cemented the series from the beginning with that faith that they were, you know, all trying to get there uh, in one piece. Um, Mm. Well, there's that, that again, the same speech, where it's basically Adama is taking them to church. He is actually doing this as if he is the minister or the priest in front of the congregation. That whole bit about so say we all, the actual script had him say, so say we all. But he decided as the actor, he said, just keep the cameras going on me. He walks down among them and he keeps repeating it, which was not in the script. He said, so say we, and then everyone responded and they kept responding even more each time he said it was such a powerful moment unscripted wow i had no idea that was unscripted and that becomes such a big phrase for the whole you know that belief that keep i keep saying that because you know i believe and i believe in the collective goal yeah Mm. Well, do we have any final, because I think Troy, we're almost at time. I mean, we haven't even got into Dune and the, uh, uh, and That's the Hadarak and, and well, the oh. Bene Gesserit. And this means uh, that we, we, take- we, it necessitates Jerome coming back for sure. <laughs> Please. Oh, I would love to, we, I watched Dune specifically for this and I, I think it's such a powerful, another message about, you know, the control that, religion can have and yeah i just think that's a great thing to explore please let's do this again that'll be fun oh yeah i mean we've got <laughs> we've got like planet of the apes we've got the whole star wars thing um yeah. we got there's a ton of stuff that we have not even scratched the surface on yet yeah we're sorry we only had one episode based on our season because this is definitely a two or three parter if not 
many more parts because you write about the force and you write about all of the other things, the, the, the beneath the planet of the apes where they're worshiping the bomb and everything else. There's just yeah. so many examples that we just can't get into yet. But I think we did very well this episode, I think. I think we've I think just so created sort of the perfect uh, Christmas present for everybody out there. <laughs> so thank you, Jerome. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. It's been yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> so that's our uh, religion uh, episode. Thanks to our special guest, Jerome Stewart. Um, and thank you, Troy and David. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Jerome. Um, please, uh, everybody out there, remember to catch us on your favorite podcast provider. Do the old uh, like and subscribe. Remember, well, I mean, you can check us out on Spotify. That's what I do these days. Um, and uh, go to the website, uh, two numeric two of.ca. And we're also on Facebook and you can chat with us there. Uh, throw your two cents worth in. Uh, that's two old farts talk sci-fi. It's, it's all words. No, no numbers on this one. And that's it. We want you guys to have a, a great holiday season. I hope you've enjoyed this show. Yep. And everyone just have yeah wonderful holiday season. Uh, we are going to be uh, back. I think this one's uh, dropping on December 16th. We'll have a robot show that we're recording on the Tuesday night on the 19th. And then it'll broadcast on the 30th. I think we're taking month, uh, the month of January off. And we'll be back in February with new episodes. And anyways, I am... David Clank. And I'm Troy Harkin. See you all for our next episode of Two Old Farts. Talk sci-fi. With heavy hearts, we lift up their bodies to you, O lords of Kobol, in the knowledge that you will take from them their burdens and give them life eternal. We also pray that you look down upon us now with mercy and with love, just as you did upon our forefathers many years ago, just as you led us from Kobol and found the Twelve Worlds. So now we hope and pray that you will lead us to a new home where we may begin life anew. So say we all. 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 Are they the lucky ones? That's what you're thinking, isn't it? We're a long way from home. We've jumped way beyond the red line into uncharted space. Limited supplies, limited fuel, no allies, and now, no hope. Maybe it would have been better for us to have died quickly, back on the colonies with our families, instead of dying out here slowly in the emptiness of dark space. Where shall we go? 
what shall we do? Life here began out there. Those are the first words of the sacred scrolls. And they were told to us by the lords of Kobol many countless centuries ago. And they made it perfectly clear that we are not alone in this universe. Elosha, there's a 13th colony of humankind, is there not? Yes. The scrolls tell us a 13th tribe left Kobol in the early days. They traveled far and made their home upon a planet called Earth, which circled a distant and unknown star. It's not unknown. I know where it is. Earth. The most guarded secret we have. The location was only known by the senior commanders of the fleet. And we dared not share it with the public. Not while there was a Cylon threat upon us. For now, we have a refuge to go to. A refuge that the Cylons know nothing about. It won't be an easy journey. It'll be long and arduous. But I promise you one thing. On the memory of those lying here before you, we shall find it. And Earth will become our new home. So say we all. 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 Dismissed. Yeah!